25 of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, MovieSharkDeblore.com. Find me anywhere around the world, print online, or right here on Behind the Lens every Monday from 11 to 12. And joining me today, again, I'm so thrilled, my friend, the movie Kit herself. Kit Bowen is here. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me again. Oh, I love having you. It's so fun. It is fun. You know. But, you know, Greg is off, for those of you wondering, Greg is off being a dutiful son uh, with his dad today. Oh, his dad. So, yeah. yes. Well, because mom was doing things, so ah. Greg Greg is home with dad today. Ah, another after Father's Day. A- an after Father's Day event. <laughs> yeah. So, the girls are here today. Uh, we've got Jordan and Brian hanging out in the back. Um, yes, while we're listening to, like, empty, empty, empty cans on my ears. Um <laughs> But we have a very fun show today. I think it's very fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. At 11.15, uh, my pal, director extraordinaire David Spaltro is calling in from New York where he's going to talk about a film that I executive produced that he directed, The Cat's Cradle, which is currently on its festival tour around the United States. And then he has a new film, a horror film, feature film, uh, that the trailer... And the poster just debuted last week. So we're going to let David talk all about that. And then, so excited, 1130. You know, you know, this is is my, we kick off the summer fun or summer of fun, however you want to call it, with future filmmakers. And I'm talking to the future filmmakers who appeared at LA Film Festival. Uh, these kids, you heard me talk about it last week. These kids are bright, they're smart, they're creative, they're talented. And Kit now has seen one of the films, and we both agree that no, what these kids are turning out is better than one third of what has distribution deals in theaters it's right now. It's very encouraging. Isn't it? For the future of filmmaking in general, that these kids, and I think, you know, we were, we'll talk about it with, with Theo and Emily, but, uh, you know, they must, the technology that, that they have at their fingertips now make make it so much easier and more exciting yeah. I think. But what's so key and you'll see in the other in the other shorts that I send to you is that they're using practical effects. They're not relying on the technology. Right. They are using practical effects to achieve some incredible visual results and storytelling results. Yeah, they're having to rely on storytelling which is what is key. Oh and it is something we don't see enough of. So when we see it, we are so incredibly happy. Yes. So, yes, we will have Theo Buckwald and Emily Kramer at 1130 talking about their short film, Old Tricks. <laughs> it's <And> great. <laughs> it, it is. It, I mean, it is. It's fabulous. And then we've got some wonderful exclusives that I did with uh, Jim Murphy, the writer and director of Lava. I love a Lava. <laughs> I think you do too. Yes. Love is a short film that plays before Inside Out. Um, and it is just heartwarming. And well, I mean, I think the whole audience that I watch it with, we just kind of all collectively said, aww. Well, and, and 
our lovely sound engineer, Mr. Brian, back there today, he saw Lava and Inside Out. Yeah. And I think it brought a tear to his eye. Not a tear, tears. Oh, many tears. Many tears. (laughs) Inside Out as well. I mean... I'm I'm actually surprised that Inside Out didn't win the box office this past weekend, but well, but ninety one million or however. But in many is. respects, it is a win. You know, so yes. many people are hung up on the fact that this is the first Pixar film that wasn't the number one of the box office. It was the number one new film at yes. the box office, yes. and ninety one million is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> My Disney stock thanks you immensely, <laughs> American public. Um, but but Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic World, dinosaurs, dinosaurs, dinosaurs. World. This is a very interesting activity book that people that can see the video online will be able to see it. So. That's right. Yeah. And you know we're also about literacy, and you yes, need, re, you need to read in order to read scripts. So, yes. and it's it is summer. So on <laughs> vacation, summer. there are all these great things out there for kids that are movie tie-ins. Yeah. And, and I think that's great. And they're great for adults, too. I mean, one of the big things right now, they're promoting coloring books for adults. Well, <laughs> we have our little coloring book and activity books right here. <laughs> we don't have any crayons, though, do I, we? I, I forgot the crayons. I'm so sorry. <sighs> Our pens. Well, here. I have a pen here. Okay, I'm going to start okay. this up. Kit needs, we like to keep ourselves entertained, you know. <laughs> we have visual aids not just for you, but as play toys for us. Yeah. So... Yes. But another another film that's out there right now that is every week it's it's increasing uh, the number of theaters is Love and Mercy, yeah. which is absolutely phenomenal. It is an amazing story, uh, Brian Wilson's story, written by Oren Moverman, directed by Bill Polad, um, John Cusack. I really think he and Paul Dano they both turn in Oscar worthy performances. Absolutely. I mean, we got a chance to talk about this last time I was on. Yeah. It was. Uh, it's a spectacular movie. I mean, it really does. And and like we said, it you know, it gives you that um, sort of uh, insight into how Brian Wilson's brain worked and, and creating some of the better sounds of the Beach Boys. And it's just, it was just, I mean, if you're a Beach Boys fan, it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And even if you're not, if you're not a Beach Boys fan, it will make you a Beach yes. Boys fan. Yes, for sure. You know, it's, and it, for anybody that's, that, an appreciation for them, yes. Yeah, I mean anybody of my generation, because you're a few years behind me, but just a few, <laughs> more than a few. But you know, the Beach Boys were such an integral part of their sound of my life. Yep, and that they were the sounds of summer. Yep, yep. When you think summer, you think Beach Boys, and to see and California, yeah, and to see the machinations behind that through this film, yeah. But one and. I think we're, everyone has agreed, Paul Giamatti, he will get a Best Supporting Oscar nod for this performance as Dr. Eugene Landy. Yeah, I think he might. He could very well might. And, you know, I mean, again, it's it's problematic because it's coming out now. But, you know, th- things do tend to last, especially well, when they come out in the summer. And we're finding that more and more in recent years. You know, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, mm-hmm. the K- it was a January release initially. And there were Oscar nominations rolling around. Yep. At the end of the year, yeah. so we're seeing it more and more. Um, American moviegoers are getting more are getting savvier. Uh, Ampass voters are getting savvier, yep. and they're realizing that 
good things do last. Well, they'll probably market it a little bit towards the end of the year, you know, for the award season. I bet they'll come. It'll come out on DVD, yeah. and yeah, so they'll they'll be pushing it out a little bit again. I think, and they should. They should. They should. And what you know, when it comes to Giamatti uh, and Eugene Landy. Yeah, tell, them, tell them what Eugene, who Eugene, Eugene Landy Eugene was. Landy was a psychologist in, licensed in the state of California who ultimately became unlicensed. Landy came in. He was hired to initially treat Brian Wilson, who went through periods of severe depression uh, that kept him housebound. He did not go out, gained an excessive amount of weight. But Landy overstepped the patient-doctor bounds. Yeah. And got greedy. Got more than greedy and inserted himself into all of Brian's finances, into his deals, into every aspect of his life to the point that it was causing more harm than good. And it was thanks to Melinda Ledbetter, who Brian ultimately married and yeah. I think has five, five kids, kids. Five kids with now. Um, Melinda is the one that went to the rest of the Wilson family and said, you guys, you, this is what's happening. You've got to do something. And yeah. that got the ball rolling to get Landy removed from Brian's life and turn very vitriolic in the court system. I remember when it. Do you? Oh, yeah. I remember when it went down. There's still some case law on point hmm. uh, that came out of a lot of those hearings. Landy lost his licensing, um, but Brian Wilson got his life back. Yeah. But in order to create this incredible character, um, and it's always more difficult when you are creating, when you're performing a real, embodying uh, right. someone who was a real person. Right. Is, you know, how do you get the tone right? And I had a chance to talk to Oren Moverman about that. And this is a clip we didn't get to play last time right. you were here. Right. Because just before they were starting to shoot, Oren came into possession of hours and hours of audio tapes of Eugene Landy. Ooh. And here's what Oren Moverman had to say about this. But what I did, I was very lucky. There's a book called The Nearest Faraway Place mm -hmm. that was written, I can't remember his name, which is terrible. It was a Rolling Stone writer who died at the age of 50 of a heart attack. Beautiful guy, beautiful writer. And he was interviewing people in the Brian Wilson world over the years. And um, he was, he had, I heard, somebody told me that he has tapes of landing. You know, he, so I think through Rolling Stone, I have a, a buddy who's the, who's the editor of Rolling Stone. I got in touch with his widow. And I said, this is really weird. And, I, you know, obviously, you know, it's such a tragedy. And, but, but you have those tapes. And she said, I got to go into a study and look because I can't really bring myself to go into a study because he died so suddenly and she's still kind of grieving in, in many ways. But then I got a call from her and she said, I have it. I have tapes. Dr. Landy being interviewed. Hours of tapes of Dr. Landy being interviewed by my husband. And I said, you know, nobody has this. Nobody's heard him talk for hours. There must be a great, you know, research tool, but I can't, I mean, obviously I can't ask you to part with it, but if you were so kind to let me listen to it, you know, I promise I won't do a disservice to it, but I, I really want to hear his voice, I really want to hear from and, um, and then I heard the tape, she sent it to me. She made a, uh, her son made a, a digital, uh, basically DVDs, uh, I mean CDs, 
and I played them, and Landy was saying, I went into the grave, and I pulled them out, like all the stuff that's in the movie. Wow. And I went to Bill, and I said, you know the stuff that I wrote about, you know, I have better, better lines. And we were really close to shooting, so he's sort of like, wow. Then I said it to Paul Giamatti. And then I, on set, we were actually changing the lines as we went. We were sort of like, this is actually what he said. He was so out of his mind that he was actually saying these things. you got to say them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. I mean, you know, I'm sure Landy, I mean, I'm, I'm only assuming he probably had the best intentions when he first started, but somehow, you know, that kind of power he had. Yeah, it went. Overtook. It went above and beyond rationale. <laughs> yeah, I it just truly tragic. Um, but I mean, for Oren as a screenwriter, as a filmmaker, to have this essentially fall into his lap at the eleventh hour—that's amazing. And for that, for Paul Giamatti to then go and and listen to all of this, and embrace that. Yeah. And because Oren and I talked for about an hour about this and we had talked to Dave because we are friends so um and it was to hear uh, some of the horror stories of things that were contained in those tapes it's poor Brian <laughs> yeah I mean it's how anybody could endure that I and come out whole. I mean it's pretty rough to watch on on yeah. in the movie too there's a couple of scenes where it's really it's tough it's tough yeah. to watch and, and you're getting it mostly from the perspective of Melinda but um you know still uh, but you, uh, but then you see John Cusack embody yep. the trauma that has been inflicted, and I mean, you just your heart does stop. Yeah, you know, you find yourself clenching your fist, wanting to, you know, reach in and just either choke Eugene Landy <laughs> or pull Brian, pull John out. Yep. as Brian. Yep. out of the screen. For sure. But at least if there's a happy ending. There's a really happy ending. <laughs> and and Brian just played, what, the Greek this weekend. Did he? Yeah, he just had a live performance uh. this weekend. So that's very, very exciting and very good. And his, he has a new album. So yeah, everybody go buy it. <laughs> go yeah, buy I mean, he's, it. you know, you. I guess uh, what's probably the most amazing that he has, uh, his genius has has stayed has yeah. maintained he had he never really lost it no which is pretty amazing considering all the stuff he has gone through in his life so yeah wow well and speaking of genius we have another cinematic <laughs> genius who's joining us now hello my darling david spaltro hello how are you i'm doing really really well it's so nice to talk to you on your show it, I am so thrilled to have you. My friend and colleague and partner in crime today, Kit Bowen, is here as well. Hello, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Good. And everybody needs to know that David, being being the true friend that he is, I reached out to him in a panic this morning after a publicist uh, and her clients canceled and said, I have to completely redo my show today, and I don't think I have enough content. I do, but I didn't have enough time to put it together. And you very graciously said, I'm in, I'll call. <laughs> well, but, hey, you can summon me anytime you need me, so I'm happy oh, to do. Well, and that, that's one of the reasons I love you. But big things are happening. First, let's let's talk about the Cat's Cradle and this wonderful festival tour. Because you were there and I wasn't. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Cat's Cradle is a really great short film that I had the pleasure of shooting last, God, it's been a year already. We shot yeah. it in June. Um, and you were a great part of that. And Debbie was our lovely executive producer uh, on this film. Uh, and it was really fun. I got to work with an actress that I knew very well, Tawny Sorensen, who I hadn't worked with before. Tawny had written the original piece as a one-act play um, about a couple trying to conceive and some secrets that happen one night on their uh, one of the nights they have to conceive the, a child. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great piece. I thought it would make a really good short film. It was a great collaboration. I got to bring a lot of people that I like to work with. Um, and it really, honestly, I mean, especially after this last year of working on something else, it was probably the easiest, most fun uh, thing I ever had the pleasure to do. It was a real joy. Um, and, you know, we, we premiered in October uh, of 2014 at uh, the Twin Cities Film Fest, and we've, we've played, I, I wish I could tell you the number right now, um, but a bunch of festivals, and uh, we have a couple more coming up. Uh, but we recently won our first uh, Best Picture in New Jersey uh, last weekend. Congratulations. So it's been a great couple of weeks. Yes. Well, and I think we, I think it's play, I think we've done eight or nine festivals already. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I know it's, I, she, uh, Tawny recently posted uh, the, uh, the number the of, uh, of festivals we played and festivals that are still waiting. And it was like, I was like, wow, I didn't, it's, uh, it was kind of impressive and kind of fun. Well, I just want everybody, everybody, you know, watch your festival schedules. What, you know, follow David on Facebook, follow me and, you know, follow the film, The Cat's Cradle and find out where the festivals are because it is so worth seeing. Um, it, you know, it really showcases Tawny. It also showcases you as a dramatic director. Yeah, I mean, I again, like I, I, I humbly will, will, you know, step aside and just say that, like, it, the performance. It's a really, it's just, you know, it's two people, pretty much going, and it's a huge tonal shift in this film. Um, so I won't say anything to no spoilers, um, but it's it would really, I mean, the, the piece is so well written by Tawny, um, but also her performance um, opposite uh, Nabil Vinyas, who is the male lead. I've worked with a couple of times. It's just, it's a powerhouse. It really, you just. I've watched it a few times now with an audience a couple times and getting to see people sort of really just, just you know, it, it starts out very funny and they just kind of like melt into the story and the characters and then you go for the ride um, as if you're in, you know, in a very uncomfortable room with these people and what happens. So it's, it's, it's pretty great. Now, now, my little cohort is sitting here and she's grinning. Is there any way we can get her a link to see The Cat's Cradle? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, I, will, I will happily send that off. Oh, great! Kit Kit likes likes seeing these little projects and things. I do absolutely because she's also now managing editor of Screenpicks dot com. So some, very cool. So you know somebody else that you know we're gonna hit up for <laughs> this other baby of yours. That I'm sorry, it is the finest work you've ever done. <laughs> The fa- number one, the fact you survived it. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, yes. Let's I, I let's be last. let's be gracious uh, and kind. Talk about this new film that the trailer just dropped, the poster just dropped. The stage is yours, yes, my yes. friend. Um, In the dark is a horror film. I, uh, I, I did not expect if you told me about a year and a half ago that I'd be making a horror film. Um, I. <laughs> would have said you're crazy and, and i had nothing against the genre i actually in preparing to make it and making it um i actually kind of refound my love for scary films and like what you can actually really do with the genre it, whatever as, as an artist you're always trying to find ways to tell stories in different unique ways and especially in the art versus commerce of what is marketable and you know um 
trying to make something commercial without completely, you know, being redundant or pulling out. Um, horror is really great because you can, you know, it's always been used as either a way to tell stuff that you weren't allowed to talk about, whether it's race or, you know, sexuality, you know, as kind of a metaphor. Um, and so, so I just sure. really, we love, you know, found the love for it. It's just really cool. Got to do things with a filmmaker I've never done before. But, you know, we were working at a very low budget, and um, you make Faustian bargains when you take on other people's projects. Um, <laughs> again, I wasn't planning to do a horror film. I just, somebody came along and uh, kind of offered me a deal that, uh, you know, they wanted to make a horror film. They didn't have a script. So it was really, it was like a t- half a test for me to see if I could work with somebody else, half a test to see, you know, um, if I could work in that wheelhouse and kind of open myself up commercially to show that I could do other things outside of um, the films I've done before that are more dramatic and kind of, normal, no supernatural, no sort of thriller aspects um, and, and play in a genre arena. Can you give us a little uh, to, you know, a little log line to the, in the, in the, in the dark? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a, a world-renowned uh, paranormal uh, kind of uh, research person uh, who works at Columbia University who has a sort of rough history with uh, demonic possession and hauntings and She's a true believer, but she also weaves out a lot of, uh, you know, uh, non, non-real non cases, um, sort of teaming up with the uh, the Scully, if you will, a, a younger grad student <laughs> who's interviewing her on a particular case uh, involving a girl and a haunted house and her mother that turns out to be a lot worse and a lot more serious than either one of them thought of. So mm-hmm. it's a little haunted house, it's a little demonic infestation, it's a little thriller, it's a little mystery. Um, and, and inside of it, what I really tried to do is... Um, you know, there's four female leads, um, which is ah, important yeah. to me because I feel like, you know, there's there's a real push right now for, for female filmmakers and female stories, and it's a great blank canvas that hasn't been explored yet, so I always like doing that. And the, the four female leads, um, I got Grace Folsom, who was in my last film, a terrific actress, and then Justin Er and uh, Catherine Cobb Ryan, and then your, your favorite, Fiona Oregon. Um, <laughs> you know and, I uh, love just, Fiona. Yeah, yeah, and just and tried to what I really try to do with this film um, is to tell a dramatic story about people and their own personal demons, and kind of mix that in with some real demons, uh, and then hopefully find a good balance between a good story and uh, and some some really good fun and thrills. And it's easy, uh, the people who've released the trailer and the poster, and a few people have seen it, and uh, it's getting really good feedback. So that I'll hopefully we'll be premiering it in the fall uh, somewhere. As soon as I know, you'll know. Yeah, well, I know I'll know. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah demon, demon possessions are always the scariest to me. Oh, this and it's I, the three o'clock in the morning witching hour thing. You know, I see, I see the paranormal activities or the whatever it is, and uh, actually, the exorcism of Emily Rose is where it really started manifesting <laughs> in my brain. And you wake yeah, up, you know, yeah. you wake up in the middle of the night, right? And you go, I'm not going to look at the clock because if it says three o'clock in the morning, I'm going to be freaking out right now. No, so I'm just no. not going to look. I don't smell anything burning. I think I'm okay. <laughs> well, I can honestly say having seen the film in its entirety mm. and having seen little things along along David's journey with this film, it is the absolute best thing he's done. The title, oh. the titles are amazing. Oh, they are visually, they are gorgeous, and they really, they throw you off balance for what is to come. So it's a beautiful dichotomy of what you see and then what happens. Oh, I like that. But the effects are fantastic. But 
again, Grace Grace Folsom is she is a powerhouse actress. She really yeah. Is. I mean, I mean, again, even when you're doing this kind of film um, at the budget we were doing it at, um, your performances and your story, your script are kind of no matter even if you have special effects, they're your real special effects. But you know, again, part of part of succeeding is you know as a director and filmmaker is you got to have a strong vision, but also the people that you bring. And on this project, particularly the people that I was able to bring that I've worked with before, just even new people that are just solid professionals. Um, but the, the, the titles you're talking about and the special effects were done by Tony Hudson, who's got 30 years of experience. He's worked for Lucasfilms. Anybody who's looking for good visual effects, he's based in California. He's at epicbet.net. Epicbet.net. And our, I mean, just our score was done by a great composer, Fritz Myers, who's done a bunch of films. Um, they just more than any other film I've done, that kind of stuff in post-production was really important to finishing the film. It, it makes it a whole different thing, um, which is really great to play with. And, and, of course, your color correction on this one. The color is outstanding. Yes. And especially with your cinematography, you know, in the dark, the dark is a huge part of this, and you really play up to the negative space. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the... Gus Sachs, who I worked with on my on two films, this is our third collaboration. Yeah, Gus is fabulous. Things, I understand. He did the Cat's Cradle, and he um, he's just great. He's not scared of dark either. A lot of people, you know, because if you don't know what you're doing, and you end up with like a blank screen or uh, way too much shadow, but he'll he'll dive into it and really just make something moody. So. Ooh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, see, <laughs> see, we've already convinced Kit. She needs to see it. You know, she's on board. <laughs> Yeah. For sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get you. We'll get you a screen or two. Now, okay. now, now, we just have to get the rest of the world get get a distributor in here, and uh, yeah, and make this thing happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it's getting you know early early buzz is promising. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I'm. I'm. It's been a. It's been a very long, as you know. You know many secrets. Uh, it's been a very long year, and I'm really happy that uh, it's it's kind of finished and can go out in the world now because it's, it's a really great piece with a lot of really solid work from a lot of great people too. So that I'm very proud of. And I, I think it's safe to say that the making of in the dark could be a film all its own. <laughs> well, that's the real horror movie actually. Yeah. The documentary that you get a chance to make, that's the, uh, that's the apocalypse now. Yeah. There you go. I was going to say. Down the river you, you and Coppola you know. can uh, commiserate there. Oh. Well, David, <laughs> thank you so much for calling this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, you, it's nice to meet you. You, you yeah. know, you always have an open invitation. <laughs> and I love the fact that I can call this man in a panic and say, oh, help me, help. <laughs> Just like I say to Kate, hey. Greg's not going to be here. You want to come on the show? Sure. Yeah. That, that's, that's why I love my people that I hold close. And yeah. you know what you mean to me. Well, I'm a press whore, but anything for Debbie Depp. <laughs> well, thank you, my darling, and I will talk to you soon. You too. Be and well, and tell the girls I will be hearing from. They will be hearing from me. Excellent, excellent. All right, guys, have a great rest you of the day. Bye. Bye bye. And that was the fabulous director and writer David Spaltro. I am so proud of him, <laughs> and I am so proud of this film. Um, yeah, horrors can be tough, I think, yeah. to do. I mean, yeah. do correct, do and well. Anyway, this is—it's a stunner. Yeah, it's a stunner. Well, I think before, because I know we're coming up on a battery change. Well, no, we're going to take a moment for battery change, <laughs> and before Emily and Theo call in, so we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back to behind the lens. Mm. 
Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Ann Elias. I'm here with my cinematic cohort today, Kit Bowen. Hello. Uh, we just heard from writer-director David Spaltro about The Cat's Cradle, currently on the Fest Circuit, and In the Dark, which... Sounds creepy. Looking for a distributor. <laughs> Are you listening, Jason? Hello, hello. Are you listening, Jason? <laughs> but right now... I am so thrilled because joining us now are two of my favorite future filmmakers, Emily Kramer and Theo Buckwald. Hi, guys. Hi. I am, I've been waiting, waiting for this, for you guys to be on today. She's I'm, very excited. <laughs> <laughs> that Kit is here with me. I'd emailed you. And Kit has seen old tricks as well. Awesome. Well done. Well done. I loved it. I loved oh, thank it. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's, it's see, so cute. See, hear that enthusiasm? This is what filmmaking is all about. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Have you guys come down off of your high of having old tricks in, in LA Film Festival? Wait, I'm sorry. Could you say that one more time? We're kind of cutting out. Have you guys um, come down off your high yet? of L.A. Film Festival and having the film premiere debut we're, there? We're always high. No, no, like, <laughs> like, we, are nice. so, it, we are so beyond, like, thrilled about that still. Like, it is not worn off at all. We still talk about it every day. It was the most incredible experience. Well, no, it, was, it was just awesome uh, having it shown just to a, a nice amount of people at once on this big screen. Like, it's just something, like, I fantasized as a kid, and I couldn't <laughs> believe that it was actually happening. So what is it that makes the two of you want to make movies? What is the magic of movies for the two of you? Because you don't just get up one day and say, I'm going to make a movie and make a film that is as wonderful, as, as great a story, as visually appealing as Old Tricks is. You know, I think uh, it's the ability, the one thing that really gets, it's just the ability to show something to such a, a big amount of people. I think that's really what, I love being able to, to be an influencer and to being able to give something that someone can talk about and, and just be influenced by and motivated by or scared of. Just, yeah, I love communicating to people. And I think uh, communicating through film is just like the greatest thing. And what about for you, Emily? For me, I've loved film for as long as I can remember. It's like something I've been passionate about since I was a really little kid. And for me, I think that a film just has the ability to touch and connect with people and really, it, it almost therapeutic like watching a good film it could either be an escape from something or it can relate to you in a way and the way that it's this medium that combines all these arts like the the visual art like through the cinematography and the music and the colors and all of that like the acting I think that it just it's the most beautiful medium to touch people through and really um it, it's like it's capturing humanity it's capturing you know, emotions and life in a way that I feel no other medium can do the same. Do you guys remember the the first movie that sort of touched you like that? The what? First movie that you that you saw that really kind of affected you. Oh, um, hmm. 
You know, that, that's a tough question. Theo, you go. I, I, like, I know that one. Okay. I saw, when I was a little kid, I saw Jaws with, uh, with my parents in a movie, in a revival movie theater. And just, like... That's my favorite movie. For just some, like, you don't even see the shark at all throughout the movie, really. But, like, the, like, the fact that that shark was just so terrifying and, like, someone was able to do that to you, just, like, that instantly was just, like, wow. Like, I'm so into this. Like, I'm so into movies. I'm so... In, and I just started watching so many movies after that. Well, now that Jaws, you know, they're running the 40th anniversary showings of Jaws now. It's going to be down at the Egyptian in a 35 millimeter print this week. Um, Have you seen it again on the big screen? I actually took my dad uh, yesterday for Father's Day. We went to go because that's like that was a huge thing we used to do when we were little kids. um, Oh, that's awesome. Movies. So um, I um, I took him yesterday to AMC and it was just like I I still I felt like I was a five year old again. Oh, okay. Well, now, Theo bought you all kinds of time, Em. So what what film? What film affected you initially? Um, it, It's so hard to pinpoint, you know, an exact film. Like, I, I can't do it the way that he did. But I remember as a kid, I was obsessed with all the Audrey Hepburn films, like Breakfast at Tiffany, Roman Holidays, wow. uh, her Roman Holiday, um, Sabrina, all those. I was... Like, the beauty of the filmmaking from that time and, like, just, like, the glamour of things like Sunset Boulevard and, um, you know, An American in Paris, I loved all of those. And that's what really got me into, like, really, really wanting to work on How how old are you, Emily? (laughs) I'm 18. Oh, my gosh. If I could only just hear that out of the... Babe, you know, out of my children's mouths, because <laughs> my mom, I, I grew, I grew up watching older movies too. I, you know, my mom would say, "Hey, stay up and watch this movie with me." You know, Duel in the Sun or Bad Seed or you know, mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn. Wait, we're actually we're cutting out right now. Can can you say that one more time? I was just saying when I was growing up, my mom also would watch these older movies with me. She'd say, "Hey, watch this movie with me," and I would, you know, I would say, "Yeah, absolutely." And you know, they were all they're all the older movies and. Philadelphia Story. I love. They're Catherine the greatest. Hepburn. They're seriously the greatest. My mom and I would always watch them together Aww. growing up, and same with me and my grandpa. And oh, they're just they're so there's such a an elegance to them. So, are you a big TCM fan, Em? A big what? TCM Turner Classic Movies. I love it. I love it. My grandpa had um this huge box in his house growing up with just all the old DVDs from that, and it's. Oh, so now can we expect to see you at the TCM Film Festival next year? I, I mean, I would love to. <laughs> you know, I, I could need an intern next year when I cover it. One never knows. Oh, that, I would be extremely interested. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about how you came up with Old Tricks. I mean, it is, it is a, it's a fabulous short story. We've got a teenage burglar. An old Gutsy man. teenage burglar, by the Gutsy. way. Gutsy. <laughs> but a very well-mannered one, too, I have to say. And um, so, Well, I, uh, it was around September of 2014. Yeah, 2014. And uh, I, had to, I wanted to put together a film for college applications. I really was, like, you know, stressing. And, like, everyone's, like, you know, writing essays and getting their SATs, and I was putting more of my focus in putting together a short film for the film schools. And um, I really wanted to make a film, like a little short, that wasn't too complex, that, you know, because like, I feel like a lot of filmmakers at the time were, were trying to put together these grand films with huge special effects and, 
you know, like 20 minute long things. And I was just like, I just want to put together something five minutes that just focused on story. And um, through that, I started kind of, you know, I took that element of just making it simple. And that's how I kind of came up with the story. And uh, I think the whole story of it really kind of resembles that whole just things are not what they seem. Because I felt like with college applications for applying to the film schools, you know, everyone's going to be turning in these things that have like $10,000 budgets or, you know, all these great editing effects. And I'm going to have this like little five minute short film. So I think, um, so I think that kind of just affected the whole, like the way the story is like, things are just not what they seem. It's your, you know, your tortoise and the hare story. And, uh, I, I think like, so every little element of the film has that sort of that theme within it. And that's really, that's just really how I conceived it. And I just, when I got the idea of just an old magician, it just kind of started making sense. Like, oh, well, you know, he was once a famous uh, magician and uh, he can do card tricks and he can do these little ball tricks and he can do all these other things. And it kind of just came from that. Well, and you know, one of the things I told you at the festival was the simplicity, the simplicity of your story, the unfettered visuals, the clean lines, the, the clear, clean, crisp lighting, your vision is very clear. Your storytelling is clear. It, but it is that simplicity that adds, as Emily would say, that line of elegance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think simplicity is the most complex thing sometimes, um, and I, I think it, it it looks very clean because I tried to, you know, I tried to oversee as the director. I tried to oversee every little element from, you know, I, I wrote the script and. Um, when we were making the posters to put on the walls, I was trying to like make sure that you know they were what I wanted to see. And then when we, when we were editing it, I was always you know looking over the shoulder of our editor and just making sure that everything was in the same uniform theme and style. And it was everything, every little like theme was being communicated through every medium, through the sound, through the um, through the visuals, and you know so on and so forth. Did you ever get tired wearing all those different hats, Theo? I never get tired wearing all those hats. <laughs> I, I put them on. I sometimes I sit I sit alone and put them on and just to feel the rush. <laughs> and Emmy's like, take them off. <laughs> no, she's like, keep them on. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Joe Spano, you know, you know that was a big big thrill for me to see Joe Spano, veteran character actor. Everybody, you see him, and everybody knows who he is. They might not know his name, but they know him. Tell tell everyone how Joe Spano came to you because I think this is a charming charming part of the of the story. Well, uh, Joe is a, is a friend actually. He uh, his, one of his daughters uh, was in the same theater program that I attended while I was at high school, and we did several shows together. And I you know we became very close. And just I just found out that you know her dad was a very famous actor, and I started taking interest in his work and started really you know just. It was really, it's, it's very nice when you just know a celebrity, so it, it was a lot of fun. And uh, when I was putting together the film and I needed, I wanted an old man, I was, you know, kind of stuck. I was like, I can either just get a friend of mine to play an old man, but that wouldn't look good. I need an authentic old man. I, I really need an actor who just knows what they're doing that can just pull it off. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go on a limb. He's probably going to say no. I'm going to send an email and just hope for the best. I'm going to send him what I have so far of my script. And just like, you know, I might as well just try. And sure enough, like almost instantly, like a couple couple hours later, I get an email saying, looks great, would love to talk more about it. And we met up again and we talked about oh, it. Wow. And just 
from the beginning I knew like he was he was obviously the perfect choice. Well, and that that's one thing that I love is that Joe thought so much of it. He got back to you within a few hours. You know, some people you know, they'll wait weeks, they'll wait months to hear something. Yeah. But that's also I think the difference between a good script and a talented a veteran performer who knows you know when he sees something that's worth doing and oh totally and i on on that topic i mean joe was nothing but nice supportive and professional on set i mean he was i obviously he was there on time and he he never broke his character on set and he was just always supportive and always like willing to like do whatever he needed to do to make sure that the film was made and that his role was perfected and he really i he did not give me a you know like a 50-50 job. He really put in like everything that he could. And I, I, for, for that, I just, I'm truly grateful for him. And he still supports. He was actually at the LA Film Festival to see Old Tricks being screened on Saturday. Uh, yes, he was, because he was sitting about five seats away from me. <laughs> so, and I was so excited when I saw Joe there, because that, it not only speaks volumes about him, but it speaks volumes about the two of you that he would make the time to come and support the, a student, a future filmmaker film. And, you know, I, I, sort of off topic about Joe, but when I, when I saw him for the first time after, you know, not seeing for a little while and we met about the film, he looked so built and buff. Like, he looks like, he does not look like the character in the movie at all. He's so, like, you know, he's so burly. And then, like, when he came on set, the way he just kind of formed his body to look like he was some sort of sick old person, it just, like... You know, it really just shows, like, the, the strength of his abilities. Like, seriously, like, this, this man is very talented. Yes. So what did you learn about yourself, each of you, in the process of making old tricks? Emily, do you want to go first? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> she, know, she's really doing this to you, Theo. What, uh, how you can spend your free... I, I learned about how I can just spend my free time and, you know just not going out to a party over the weekends and, you know, just kind of dedicating yourself to a project can really just make a difference. You know, what I never realized, I thought when I was making old tricks, I'd just be making a short film that, you know, just was released to colleges and that's it. But little did I know that it, when we re- released it online, it got over 70,000 views on Vimeo and going to all these festivals and meeting all these people and hearing all these words. It's just, it shows, it showed me what, how strong people can be. And, it's just, it really, like, sometimes I feel like I was the character in Old Tricks. Like, I was, I could have appeared to be the old man. Like, oh, I didn't think I was that. But then little did I know that if I, when I applied myself and I put myself out there, I started releasing this. I released this thing that was really great, and it, it really changed my life. It really, it's really, it really brought me closer to a lot of people. Um, it really just, I feel like it communicated my talents very well to people. And I really was really, you know, fortunate for that. So I really learned a lot about myself artistically and just, like, what, you can do if you just put yourself to it and you know time is so short so you you don't want to waste it and just taking those like i said like taking those nights off and just focusing and working and it really made a difference and what about you emily i think uh going off of that actually just like the importance of really like loving and nurturing a film and just having true passion for it because i've worked on other projects before as like an associate producer or you know, things like that. And it, you make the film, the film's made, and then it just it kind of sits there. But with this, we worked so hard to distribute it and spread it across the Internet and 
we, you know, we, it got, it was a huge internet success. It was written up by tons of um, online review sites and, you know, coming to festivals and just really um, exposing it as much as we could and loving the project the same and like going at it with the same passion and persistence even after the post-production had ended. Um, I think I really learned the importance of that during this film. That's great. Where do you guys want to go to school, Theo? Well, uh, I'm currently enrolled for uh, USC's School of Cinematic Arts. I'm starting in the August. Well, that's great. Congratulations. Thank I'm a UCLA much. fan, but that's I actually, I'm, UCLA I'm going into my second year at Emerson College in Boston, where I'm also studying film production. That's awesome. So now, guys. do the two of you have any other short films that you're keeping hidden from us? Uh, <laughs> ah. Well, let's just say... Um, we, I, yes, we we have some. We don't want to hide them from you anymore. But we're we've been working on some some shorts that we really want to. You know, we're just looking for the right time to release it. And the right, we're all. I'm all about like the right time and place because I feel like that's really important releasing a film. And um, I just want to say, like, you know, we just want to do things that are different, and we we don't want to do the same thing twice. I assure you that the next thing that we do will not be anything like Old Trick, but that doesn't. You know, it's gonna. Hopefully, it will be as good. Mm-hmm. Well, you know I have to see it when you're ready to have someone see it. Of course. Oh, You'll be the first one we send it yeah, to. The first one. Oh, <laughs> I, I can't wait. Guys, thank you so, so much. This is You have just kicked off the Summer of Fun with Future Filmmakers so beautifully today. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, and you guys better stay in touch. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> Even from Emerson. Even from even from USC, Temple Girl myself. But you know, I, you know, I have love for the USC Film School. So you guys take care, and I will talk to you both soon. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having us. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Nice to meet you. Bye. Bye, Em. And that very encouraging. <laughs> wow, were they well spoken? And that is the future of film. Unbelievable. That's awesome. Now, now you understand why I'm so passionate yes. about the Future Filmmaker Program yes. and the kids. And you know what? It gave me, it gives me a little bit of hope because you know my kids have been brought up in the movies, so you never know. You never know what you can do as an influence, you know, as yeah. a parent or whatever. Just, just letting your kids watch movies. Well, yeah. I mean, I watch television movies forever. I mean, when I was four, my dad sh- sat and watched Nosferatu. The silent with me, you know, everything from Babes in Toyland to Bonnie and Clyde yep. to, and my mother was the, the classic film, the Audrey Hepburn, the Clark Gable, mm-hmm. the Gone with the Wind and the MGM musicals. Yes. Yeah. And so it was. And Disney. I grew up on Disney live action films too. I, those are some of my faves. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's encouraging. Very. I'm yeah. very happy to hear yeah. that. And that they love I it just, so much. We need, we need more people like that. We do. And <laughs> as the summer goes on, we're going to ha- we're going to hear from some more of them. Natalia Ferreira, who did it was one of the award winning was special mention film. She got money, um, did a film called Sour Lemonade, which is I was telling you about early while we were off air, which is fantastic. But then her whole collection of short films that she's done, including her next one, Daggers and Daguerreotypes, is she has a sense of humor that I love. I cutting, love. cutting sense of humor. Cutting, cutting. And then Katie Spear, also an award winner. 
Katie is she's going to Cambodia this summer doing research for a documentary. And when she comes back, she's going to join us and be able to talk to us about what this documentary is going to be. In addition to her award winning short film, Mask, which, again, it was done with practical. It's all practical effects. And that's one of the great things yeah. with these kids is it's all practical. Yep. But speaking of great, there is a film that you and I, we lava lava. We did lava lava. We we <laughs> did. We we lava lava. And I was, it was very... A perfect, it was a perfect compliment to Inside, Inside Out. Out. Yeah. It, so much so. And I had the extreme pleasure. I got to see a DGA presentation last year with the writer-director James Murphy. I, they took me up to Pixar. So I got to hear him there. And then at the press day, we had that an incredible presentation he did. But then I got to sit down for a one-on-one -on -one with him to talk about what went into making Lava. And one of the great things is not only the emotion, but how the color, the sound, the music, everything feeds that emotion. And here's what Jim and I talked about. Well, that's one of the beautiful things that you've done with Lava is it's very poignant, it's, it's very evocative emotionally, and it's very emotional. But then you use color. I am so fascinated with the colors that you chose because they're very specific colors, and as we saw in your presentation today, it's not a Crayola green. It's a very specific Mother Nature green that you're using. You know, How did you go about picking the colors? and? How difficult was it to achieve the right blend of them, especially when you, you get into the beautiful sunsets with your purples and oranges contrasting your greens and your blue waters? That's a great question. It, um, it was, number one, it was breaking down an emotion of a place, you know, to where we've all been to Hawaii, not all of us, but those of us who have, and we all know what it feels like. As, as a filmmaker, what, we, what you know, we had to do was to dissect that. And what are those ingredients that make up that place that give you that feeling? Because you can't use them all. Mm -hmm. But if you can understand what they are, you can pick and choose the ones that are necessary to give you that feeling of that place. Then with understanding that place, there's an emotion that comes with all the different colors of that place that we could really use in our story to help the emotion of the story and then save the sunset till the end because mm -hmm. that's like that's what we all think of is the couple on the on the beach with the sun's going down with your with your love so you don't you don't go there until you're because then it really it's all the contrast of the color so in the beginning the color was all about hope and showing this character that's this is he's paradise, but he's alone in his own paradise. So he should look like the quintessential paradise, and it should be that, you know, that beautiful sky and the beautiful water. And just and your green. lighting is also different in in those scenes too. Yeah, it, it's it's a kind of time of day stuff too. So we're kind of like early morning, you know, with the sun coming mm -hmm. up. So, you, and again, you're just setting up for after the time lapse. When you come to millions of years later, and he's now eroding back into the sea, it's overcast, it's dreary. He's no longer tan like the Waimea Canyon. He's gray, like um, you know, like Diamond Head, and 
you know, you know, some of those eroded craters, you know, that you see, like mm -hmm. he's lost his, you know, his vibrance. Mm -hmm. And then again, then you go underwater, and then that's that's a whole thing, and that was kind of evocative of the hula and like stage lighting, and, and really being, you know, this this elegance of, of her, but that she's reaching toward the light. Mm. You know, so it's very dark, and you know, where all that stuff's the only light you get, but she's she's going toward the light, and then when you get to to her above the water, it's much later in the day, mm -hmm. so you kind of get that. It's it's a little bit. It's like pre sunset. It's like pre. Um, it, it's, 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 it's that like really warm, lush light. And I just love that, you know, that coloring for that time and then saving the, uh, the sunset for the end and then have the sunset, like the sun's actually setting throughout mm -hmm. that whole long shot so that when you first come up, come up on them, it's just starting. And you're getting like that purple water yeah. you know, as, you, as you come up and you're getting a little bit of that purple sky and the, the clouds are just a little bit different. And then by the time you come out at the end of the shot, the sun's almost setting. You're starting to get the little shadow of the earth, mm -hmm. you know, coming down. So it was, that, that's, you know, you, you do those uh, color scripts mm -hmm. and really plan it out. And, you know, probably the most difficult shot to be, you know, I think would surprise you was the dreary eroded shot with the overcast sky. That's awesome. There was also more than just color going on. Don't mind Kit and I. We were just having a, a discussion here. <laughs> Do we want to break the la the lava love and go to me and her only dying girl? But we're going to stay with lava love here and hear more of what Jim Murphy had to say about the emotional, uh, the evocative emotional palette that was going on and how sound and music came into play. And to make it interesting enough so that it's, that it's interesting but, but drab enough that it emotionally... And, you know, the other thing I did is I picked, and, and I, I kind of alluded to it with the reference of the places that we picked. Mm -hmm. I also picked very specific pictures of time of day and color mm -hmm. to, and, and my lighting lead, Jesse Hollander, was really good at pushing me because I clearly knew what I wanted, but it's so much easier to illustrate what you want by a, a, an exact photograph that is this time of day and then you can read into that and kind of take it where you want but there's there's a million sunsets photos that we looked at but I picked a couple mm -hmm. that no like this leads into this leads into this you know and then the other thing with the sunset stuff is like the shot with, with his arm around her at the end where you know theoretically there shouldn't be too much light there but I kept cheating them to give us enough light so you could really read that, you but not see, too yeah. much that you break the believability that the sun's setting on them. And so that that was a fun part of, of color because it can be so emotional, mm -hmm. and so evocative, and and if used if used properly, especially with with the music, like it really plays nicely with the with the feeling of the music and the yeah. like with the music, I really tried to change the rhythm of the ukulele based on the mood, mm -hmm. you know, which goes in tandem with the color of the sky you know so you've like in the beginning it's brighter and then right. it's eroded it's sadder and then you go underwater it's happier and mm. so I think all those components play into each other to hopefully you know which give you you know a, a feeling that probably most people don't even notice but they feel it. and yeah. see there again it goes as you said perfect complement to inside out yeah because as everyone heard last week 
with my interview with Jonas Rivera and earlier in the year uh, after I'd been to Pixar, what Pete Doctor had to say, it's all about how you think emotions are supposed to look, how feelings look. Right. So that's what Inside Out incorporates with its geometry light technology, global illumination, and the color palette that they used and with Ralph Eggleston's designs. And Jim did the same thing here with yeah. Lava. Yeah. It's all about... So great. <laughs> how, it, how you think it should look the, look the way it feels. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this and that is... that song. <laughs> I'm trying to remember... <laughs> Oh, I have to go online and listen to it. I'm sure we can find it somewhere. It's oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's out there. I actually it's got... very Hawaian, very... It like, is. It yeah. was written. And, of course, part of the, the fun, anytime you see Jim Murphy or any presentations, and they may be doing this down at uh, El Capitan, I don't know, but uh, he plays the ukulele. <laughs> oh. And he wrote and played and played... The songs I have seen Jim Murphy write, you know, sing and play, and it's just so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it really is it's unbelievable. And of course, that's how you got the name of the two volcanoes. There's Uku and Lele. Ukulele. Oh, yeah. I didn't know the name of the well, volcanoes. Now you now I know. Now you know they oh have gosh. little names, but Inside Out is just tremendous. In, inside Out is so this this gets you primed. Yes, lava gets you primed, and, your, and your heartstrings are just in. You're sitting there. Okay, when am I getting out so I can call the travel agent? Um, <laughs> yes, and then you go right into Inside yep. Out. Yeah, and it's just, it's tremendous. So now I'm playing with my anger ball again yep. today. I don't you, have one. No, because you, you took yours home. Yeah, I did take mine. So, and Brian's giving us the the time to sign off mark here again. So what? next week you're going to talk about me and Earl and the dying girl. Next yeah. week I'll be talking about me and Earl or save it for a following week when you come back. Yes. Talk about, since we were there together for we that. We were. And it was, it's a tremendous movie too. It's Unbelievably a, great. And Jesse Andrews, who not only wrote the book, the best-selling book wrote the screenplay as well and um, had a lot of really great things to say about writers and being precious with words yep. or as he said divas yes so that is it today thank you thank you thank you my friend for being here of course it was lots of fun and, again those young and, filmmakers man they were great well, i can't wait as the rest of them come on throughout the summer them, yeah. you'll have to come back absolutely so th send me the links i'm going to send you the links <laughs> So, until next week, show 26, who knows what's going to happen next week. Uh, behind the Lens, I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, MovieSharkDeBlore.com, Kit Bowen, TheMovieKit.com. Yes, thank you for having me. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs>